Welcome to Redemption Unscripted. On this podcast, you will hear unscripted conversation to help you know Jesus, grow in your relationship with Him, and go advance His kingdom. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another edition of the Redemption Unscripted podcast. I'm your host today, Gary Durbin. I'm the Worship Arts Director here at Redemption Chapel. On the mic, I have our lead pastor, Rick McKee. How you doing? Good, brother. Fun to have you on the podcast anytime we can. And we also have our executive pastor, Austin McCann. How you doing, my man? Doing good. And thanks for thanks for hosting, Gary. I know I'm normally in that spot, so it's fun to change it up, but thanks for jumping in. Big shoes to fill, my friend. I don't know about Big that. Big shoes to you're fill. You're good at it. Glad Big to, mic. Yeah. Big <laughs> mic to fill. Glad to be here. So today we're going to be hitting on the idea of failure. So before we get into the really deep topic today, I thought we'd just you know, start off a little icebreaker and talk about our personal lives. So when we think about this time of year, we think about vacations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's good vacations and there's not so good vacations. So let's just get into that. What would you guys say is like your possibly your worst family vacation experience? So I'll go because mine's unique. So it's an experience I was told that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids are young, so we haven't had any like big, bad vacations yet. I'm sure they're coming eventually. But uh, I do remember, well, I don't remember, my sister and my mom tell me the story when we were little, when I was a baby, my sister was a little bit older. We went to a, we used to vacation in a small little mountain town called Maggie Valley. It's in North Carolina. It's a nothing now, but it used to be a little tourist spot. And so my mom and dad took us there one summer. And when they got there, they noticed, you know, during the day they were eating lunch, there was a ton of bikers and like just bikes, hundreds of them coming in this small town. They're like, that's weird. And they didn't realize it until that night when we were in the hotel, it was like a biker week thing where it's like thousands of bikers. And Fantastic. Just, and we're like a, you know. We, bath, I think we know. have two different reactions yeah, to that. Yeah, but yeah, Okay, please. And just, you know, my family grew up very conservative church culture. You know, bikers were bad people and you don't mess with them, ironically. <laughs> uh, but they got a little rowdy, I guess, at night in the hotel we're in. And it was to the point where it was like our family – it's we were possibly in a dangerous spot because it was just guys going nuts, you know, crazy situation. So the story goes, my dad like walked out and basically like, you know, said, Hey, you guys keep doing what you're doing. I'm packing my family up. Just let us get out of here and we'll leave and let you go. But it was, I guess, a moment of pretty intensity where it was like, this is going to go bad. Just get my family out of here. So I guess I was a little baby and got ushered out of a biker week and it was not a good vacation from there. So yeah. And ironically now I know a lot of bikers, including Rick McKee and they're not what I thought, but no, that was my experience. No, we actually had a family vacation in Daytona and we didn't, there's biker week in Daytona and we were there the week after biker week. And I I was disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to be there. Right. Exactly. Different route. So you're going to answer this question, aren't you, Gary? I'll, I'll let you go okay, first. Good. All right. <clears throat> well, Shannon and I recently talked about this. Our worst family vacation, we rented a house. You know, we did a, a Verbo in New York that was on, on Lake Erie. And it was in this little community, like a vacation community. It boasted that it had a beach. The beach was just tiny and dinky and nothing and rocky, and it was horrible. It said it had air conditioning upstairs. It didn't. I mean, it was just tons of things were wrong with the house, but 
the worst part of the house were the people staying in it, and that was my family. <laughs> and uh, so the kids were in the worst years of teenage years. Caleb was really, really difficult to be around. Madison was starting with anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. Uh, that was putting a lot of stress on our marriage. We bounced up from there. We did Niagara Falls. And it's just like the memories from that vacation are all just horrible. <laughs> like, and it's it's traumatizing to think of that vacation. So thank you for that, Gary. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I don't have like a story per se, but I just have like a couple vivid memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it has to do with my kids being babies, uh, and that that's the context of it. <laughs> so the first time I took Josh, who's my son, who's now 19, on an airplane, mm-hmm. he was six months old, cool. and he screamed the entire time, like blood-curdling, so loud for screaming, the yeah. nowhere to go, nowhere to run, just trapped on an airplane. Awful experience. Worst airplane experience of my life. And then the other one, I could just sum up with the word Disney. <laughs> And there it is. Pushing a double stroller through Disney. Oh, my goodness. Not like the side-by-side double stroller, but the... Oh, the, long. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. And it was a nightmare. Lots of people. Very hot. Very expensive. So not my favorite memory of vacation. Not my idea of a vacation yeah, either. <laughs> for real. So... But yeah, those are those are definitely uh, failures when we when we think about back on vacation. You know, we want to have restful and fun vacations, so sometimes we fail at that. And so today we're going to talk about the important topic of the ideas of the idea of church leaders who fail. Because uh, if you don't know, church leaders are actually human beings and they're people. Truth, and they mess up and they fail at times. So. We're going to dive into what we do with this topic and what do we do with these church leaders. So the first question I have is, what do we mean when we use the word failed to describe church leaders? It's a good question because there's a degree to which every church leader is a failed leader. We are all very imperfect human beings, and so we all of us sin. I sin regularly. Shocker, I know. But it's um, so if we mean by that that the, the leaders occasionally sins, well, that's everybody. And we all, so it's not only our moral lives, but also our leadership lives. So we make leadership mistakes. We're imperfect leaders. So we can't simply mean imperfection. But what we really mean is major moral failure. And by that, I, I'm kind of borrowing. Uh, that idea from our bylaw. So we have bylaws that govern how we work as a church. And not too long ago, along with the elders, I crafted a bylaw that really prepares us for how we would respond. And it says in that, uh, any accusation of serious moral failure, and then it parenthetically says, e.g., sexual impropriety, addiction, financial misconduct, deception, abuse, et cetera. So that just gives some categories. The et cetera is there because it's not exhaustive, but at least gives you a little bit of a flavor of putting the major in major moral failure, right? So uh, th- that gives some idea. Now, uh, the category has broadened for me over the last couple of years because when I went into ministry, I kind of thought, you know what? As long as I don't have an affair— and I don't embezzle from the church. I'll be good. 
And then a lot of us listen to uh, way too many hours of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. And, and we started to realize that, wow, one of the ways a leader can screw up is just being a jerk. And that is one of the ways that is uh, kind of common as as well. And so, uh, any case, you, you get this. So, a guy who's causing major church hurt among his staff, among the congregation, that would go in there as well. But you get this category for major moral failures, not just being a human being making mistakes, as all of us are. Yeah, yeah. And I think I like I like that you put those categories out because there are there is a issue of like. You know, there, we got to leave room for church leaders, pastors to be messy. I mean, granted, we talk about that a lot at our church, but it's not just that our congregation's messy and we're not. Like, we're part of the the body. We're messy. So there's got to be room for church leaders to be human and be broken and messy. Uh, and I think one of the hard parts about this is because of our culture, we we tend to jump very quickly to major. So if a guy has screwed up, and it's not really major because of the cancel culture we live in. We instantly say everything's major. So there is some wisdom in like, yes, call major failure major when it is, but be careful to jump to major when maybe it's it's not yet, and we don't have the information because we're on the internet. We're trying to judge it from afar. So you got to be careful there. That's a great point about the cancel culture and how quickly we jump to the worst assumptions, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes they're valid. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't want to excuse major failure. I'm hundred percent. I just think we gotta be careful to leave leave room for the church leader to be messy because we are. Yeah. Be careful there. It takes a lot of wisdom, discernment, mm-hmm. and we need that from the Lord for sure in this situation. You mentioned the bylaw. Why don't you guys tell us more about the bylaw uh, that we have here at Redemption yeah. Chapel? So what happened is I started to see what was going on in the landscape of Christian leadership with more and more uh, making headlines. I I think, actually, Christian leaders have been failing for a long, long time. Sometimes it's just a small church out in the country, and and that doesn't make big headline news as well. We didn't have the internet to pass that stuff around. But nonetheless, it definitely feels like uh, that's happening more and more, and I think maybe we're inheriting what we have sown in the celebrity Christian culture. Uh, that I think that gives over towards uh, an environment that breeds some of this failure. In any case, whatever's leading to it, so, so that's that's going on. And and because of that, I went to our elders and I said, I want us to plan now what we will do then. So you you want to make your plans in the light, so that when the lights go out, you know what you're going to do. And I didn't want it to become dark, and then we start to figure out what what should we do. Well, now you're in the dark, right? So we crafted a bylaw. I'm not going to read it now because it's long. Uh, Pastor Austin, you'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So uh, you can read it if you want. But basically, I wanted to, one, be prepared, and then two, I wanted it in writing so that we were publicly committed to what we have to do as a church when something like that goes down. Yeah, it's accountability. And I mm-hmm. and I, I love the bylaw, too, because I remember when you guys rolled it out and we talked about it, it was... Some of it is a way to speak to our church and say, hey, we're we're not celebrities. We are human, and we know this could happen. And if it does, here's what we're going to do. So we're we're putting our cards on our table, on the table, and not Would hiding you? it. So, in fact, did we we did a podcast episode on it? I think. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, it's like moral failure or something. Exactly, and we it, yeah. referred to it. I think I read the full thing mm-hmm. in that one. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I appreciate the um, balance I'm hearing about. We're not striving for perfection from our leaders, but we are 
going to have accountability. Yep. People are going to mess up. Leaders are people. They're human beings. So, And, and in some ways, I, I want to protect the church from myself mm-hmm. uh, and, and from ourselves. Uh, and I realize, I mean, one of the constitutional changes we've made over the last couple of years is we made it easier to fire me. And that was my initiative as well, because I, I realized at the time, the the I could have a major moral failure, and the only way that you could get rid of me is by a vote of the congregation. But I knew I could, because I preached, they'll love me, and I could sway enough of them, I could stay in gear. And we needed to make it more easy for the elders to get rid of me if I was just off the rails. And so some of these things are protections you got to put in place ahead of time, uh, and again, I, I just want to be humble enough to go, you know what? Things are going well now, mm. and I hope I finish well, but what if I don't? And so I want to protect what Jesus has built here, even against myself. Well, I appreciate that integrity because like what you mentioned, I've seen that a lot where a leader can be really good in front of a crowd. Yep. It almost can be a totally different person than that person, than he or she is behind closed doors. And um, yeah, we, we've got to protect ourselves from that. That's Well, I mean, this is maybe off topic, but that at least triggers within me. One of my personal goals as a leader is I want it to be such that the more somebody knows me, the more they respect me, not the less. So the closer they are in reporting directly to me, the closer they are as my family members, as my friends, that the respect goes up. And sometimes what you get is a leader just seems amazing mm-hmm. on TV, you know, or, uh, and then, but the people that work most closely with him mm. or her, the respect goes down. And I don't want to be that kind. Mm-hmm. So thinking about our leaders, our church leaders, when they fail, how do we respond to our leaders when they fail? Yeah, I think the one of the big things right out of the gates is, is okay, they're going to fail, yes. The question is, are they repentant? Have they owned up to it? Uh, I mean, we're we're not shocked when a church leader fails anymore. I mean, it's we're almost numb to it because it happens so much. But the question is now, like, okay, are they responding to it with repentance and a heart of humility and going, yeah, I screwed up, I'm taking the consequences, or, you know, I'm doing what I need to to heal. And so is that leader humble? Are they repentant? Because if they are, that opens up, okay, we can do something with that. If they're not, that kind of puts a roadblock into anything else. So, 100%. Yeah. And one of the things I want to look for in that is it, I, I want like real repentance, not quasi-repentance. Like sometimes you, you get the sense that the leader is quote-unquote repenting, but it's almost like they've hired a public relations firm that has given them a script, say this, and it'll smooth it over and make it all go away. And what I want is Holy Spirit crushing them with discipline and brokenness, and I'm responding to God, and I am so wrecked over my own sin, and I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I want, like, deep repentance. And when I see that from a leader, oh, my goodness, my respect for them goes up. When, I, when there's either a lack of repentance or when I sniff that fake repentance, mm. And the heart and the challenge with that in our world we live in is—, is m- by and far, most of the leaders that we know of that have failed are people from a distance, people we yeah. read, listen to Sorry. their sermons, whatever. So the hardest part is is evaluating sometimes, is their humility legit because you're reading it on a screen? And you don't, you've never, yeah. you're not rubbing shoulders. So I'm like, 
sometimes we're the worst people to judge if repentance and humility is legit or not. Well, and you know? Gary, as you pointed out earlier, that person's in their role because they're good up front. Exactly. So for them to be good up front, giving a quote-unquote apology, that's easy for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the real hard thing, is the hard work is being desperately, deeply humble and doing that publicly. That's hard. Nonetheless, what do we want to do with them? Well, I, I agree with you, Pastor Austin, where you said it, it, in part, it depends. It takes discernment. You used that word earlier, Gary. But I want, uh, I want us to pray for them. I want us to love them. Uh, then don't shun them. They just prove that they're human, just like us. And in fact, one of the things I want to do is I want to be humble myself. I'm, I'm not the one that had the major moral failure, but still, I want to be humble that there, but by the grace of God, go I. And Galatians 6 talks about that, that you who are spiritual restore such a one. Uh, and then it says, but watch yourself. Watch yourself, because it could easily be you tomorrow. Uh, and so I, I want to be very humble and then very, be very gracious and loving towards that person while requiring truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good catch, too, because I don't think any of, the, anyone, any of these church leaders that have failed, none of them went into it thinking, I'm going to blow up and be a nope. failure. And so the moment we think we're off the hook because we haven't screwed up, you're like, well, those, those people weren't thinking that either. At some point, they were probably being faithful and doing their best and it's before you know it, you're in a spot where you're doing something dumb and you're screwed up. So could be us. Yeah. Well, it was interesting how you described what we are looking for from these leaders too at the beginning of that that response. You know, the idea of repentance. Mm-hmm. What I heard was a repentance versus damage control. And it's it's great like, way to put it. It's very indicative of where we are right now as a culture with these church leaders that we prop up too much. It's definitely the celebrity realm. And with that comes all kinds of cool things, books, you know, uh, podcasts, sermons, all the things. So other than doing like a big bonfire book burning, uh, what do we do with the work of these failed church leaders? (laughs) And that is the big question, isn't it? And it's, and it's a hard question, too, because there is some great work on the table as we discuss this. Uh, so, for example, Ravi Zacharias, he was an amazing apologist with an incredible mind and a great demeanor as he interacted with people. Some of his books are <clears throat> some of the best apologetic books I have to recommend. And then he, after, after he died, he came out major moral failures mm. in the way he tra- treated women. And then you have uh, Mark Driscoll. Uh, you know, he would be less, from what we understand, less in the major moral failure, like the, there wasn't anything sexual, but more in the jerk category and uh, how he led. But uh, certainly there's an entire podcast just done about him, way too long in my opinion. But uh but, but it's there. And Driscoll, uh, Pastor Austin, we were just talking about this. Yeah, I mean, gosh, so many books. But the one I know that we talk about, it's because it's on our recommended reading page, is his doctrine, his doctrine book. So it's Sismatic mm-hmm. Theology, but it's written, it is not written like your normal, heavy, weighty Sismatic Theologies that take, you know, a seminary student reads through them and a congregant's like, what the heck is this? It's accessible, it's easy to read. I mean, I just the other day was talking to a guy like, it's the best, easy to read theology book on the market, at least in my opinion. Where it is opinion. deep, good yeah, theology yeah. and very accessible for the average congregant. Very good. 
What a great resource. Unfortunately, the author's name. Exactly. Right? And then you got James McDonald, uh, wrote Vertical Church. It is a great book great. about church. Really good book, yeah. mm-hmm. Man, I would love to... We, we go through books, you guys know, as a staff team. I'd love to go through Vertical Church. I don't think I can do it. Pastor Sean would be triggered by it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. He's from the Chicago. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he saw it up close. Yeah. So, you know, like, and I don't think I can do it, but it's such a great book. Great so, book, yeah. so, Gary, as you pose that question, like, this is real. And, and then, the, you know, to get to answering your question, it, you know, what do we do with those works? And again, I think it depends. It, it depends. It depends on, you know, like, it takes a lot of discernment. What, what is the resource? Are there alternatives? Like, is there a good alternative? Then go to the alternative. Uh, but if there's not, you're, you're on the hook for wrestling through this. Uh, what did the guy do? Did he repent? To whom am I recommending this resource? Am I able to give a caveat? Am I able to say like, okay, yeah, this is a good resource, but I don't recommend this guy because here's what he did, but it's still a good, re- yeah, can I give a caveat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know even with, you know, you mentioned the two things you said, uh, who you recommending it to. I know for an example, like there's been a couple of quotes from some of the people we've mentioned that, that I've toured around with using in different contexts and, you know, I'm speaking in maybe midweek or gathers our youth ministry, uh, I might not use a quote in that setting because I'm like, they're just going to go Google the dude's name and read whatever, <laughs> or most kids just wouldn't care. But then you get to young adults, it's like, oh, that's a different context. Maybe they have some maturity. You can work through it. Sometimes there's things I wouldn't say until it's an adult. Like, So there's sometimes the context of who you're speaking to, as you said. And, and then the caveat one's interesting. That's one that we've even wrestled with recently. So on our marriage page on our website, we have a sermon from Mark Driscoll, uh, really old sermon, super old. Uh, but he gave a sermon on birth control. And last I checked, there's not a lot of sermons on birth control. No. Probably maybe that one. Uh, but it is one of the best sermons just surveying the different ways to approach it and good, bad. I mean, it's it's such a truth and grace type of sermon. And it's practical and Very it's good. scientific yep. and it's theological so and good. biblical. Yep. Like So it's all that. Yep. And we use it for marriage mentoring. I mean, it's on our website is recommended. And so we we ended up saying, okay, we're not going to take it down because we think it's good content, uh, but we did add a disclaimer with that cave- caveat. You can see that on our page, but but that's one we had to wrestle with. Do we get rid of it or do you do a caveat? And caveat seems to work. Well, and part of it is that, that truth is still truth. And well-communicated truth is just that. It is still well-communicated truth. I, I love the line. So Martin Luther, the great reformer, one time he introduced, I think it was a sermon he was giving, perhaps a, a lecture, because he also was a seminary teacher, a professor. Uh, he introduced his sermon for the day, and he said, at one point in history, God spoke through an ass, and let us trust that today he will do the same. <laughs> it's a great line, right? And he, so he's referring to uh, Numbers 22, where Balaam's donkey, God spoke through the donkey, uh, literally happened, and so it, it's just a great, it's a funny line, right? But it's also a reminder that I don't recommend donkeys as teachers, but in that moment, God himself spoke truth through a donkey. And so what came out of the donkey's mouth is still true. And it's it's pertinent to mention with Luther, because Luther himself is 
oh my goodness, the way he impacted Christianity is so gorgeous and so beautiful and so awesome. He's one of my heroes. He also made some anti-Semitic comments at the end of his life. And a lot of what he wrote and said is still true and helpful and good. And so what do you do with it? And so a good resource is still a, uh, a good resource. Uh, and what I, what I don't want to get into, I, I'm, here's the, I, think, I hope we stay out of the waters of, I'm recommending this guy because he's so awesome. And I get the starry-eyed fanboy thing, and I'm all about this celebrity Christian. No, I want to be about the content anyway from the very beginning. You know, it's that celebrity culture, again, that I think is part of the problem. So I don't want to be in that anyway. So I want to be recommending the content because it's so good. Uh, and, and that content is probably still really good and useful. You agree? I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I think of, I mean, even, gosh, that's where you, you know, you kind of mentioned even the repentance with that. I mean, that's where we, you know, I've heard people say, well, we got— you got Psalms written by David. Mm-hmm. You know, did some pretty jacked up things, adultery, murder, but he was repentant, and and that makes it a lot easier to to view his stuff and say that's awesome. But but to your point, it's even too the the con. It's it's hard, but at times you have to separate the content from the person. But the question is then, what do you do with with the content they're still producing? I guess is the hard part too. Well, true, yeah, true, yeah. and yet you know when you talk about that content though, you, you even like it came to mind for me that uh, a painter. A painter who paints a masterpiece, and it is gorgeous, and then he has an affair. The painting's still gorgeous. The painting is still a masterpiece. It didn't change the painting. Now, of course, there is a connection in the scriptures of connection to people's character. And so the character of the teacher counts. The character of the leader counts. And so in this case, there is a little bit of a shadow cast over that, and that's why we go back to, like, if I can use a different resource, I will. And certainly what I don't want to do is um, I want to be cautious in affirming their current and future ministry. And so I feel like if a guy is screwed up, he probably needs to step aside and step out. Um, I don't want to be in that camp where I'm like, oh, no, he's anointed. He is so full. He is just, oh, Pastor Stones, he's anointed. And, like, and what that means is he could, like, like beat the crap out of a kid right in front of me. And I'd be like, yeah, he's still anointed. Like, no, I don't want to be in that camp. And, and so, uh, yeah, I want to step away from his current and future ministry, but some of those resources are still good. Yeah. The good news about this is that these resources we're talking about mm-hmm. is not the Bible. Correct. So sure. we're good as far as our discipleship, as far as our walk with Christ. It's not, you know, if somebody messes up and we get to a point, like you mentioned, it would be hard for you to use Vertical Church. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we'll be okay <laughs> yeah. without the book Vertical 100%. Church. So that's the good po- news. And to yeah. your point, there's there's so much content out there. It's rare you're going to have a, con- a resource where you go, there's no other good one. Maybe in some cases. I think the birth control in Driscoll is a good example. Sure. But by and large, every resource out there, if you put in the legwork, you're going to find other. I mean, we live in an age where there's plenty of books, podcasts, resources. It's just doing a little extra work and getting yeah. away from the Putting the legwork to find the other ones that yeah. are not, perhaps don't have a shadow True. cast over yeah. them. And yet, Gary, it's funny you bring up the Bible, because yeah, uh, the divine author of the Bible is without sin. Uh, of course, then a lot of the Old Testament came at the hand of David, an adulterer murderer. <laughs> uh, a lot of the New Testament at the hand of Paul, persecutor of Christians, uh, like, 
stained people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about uh, it doesn't have to be detrimental to our faith. Uh, if it is, it's probably a revealer that we might be a fanboy um, mm-hmm, or fangirl or whatever of this leader, this person. And so we've got to be very, very careful of that. And in, 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 in essence, what I see is that we can be part of the problem too when it comes to the failure of, the, of these leaders. Absolutely. So, so, well, and, yeah. and bro, if I may, like becoming that fanboy, like I want to remember that every time a leader fails, it proves, not disproves the gospel. It proves that human beings are not worth uh, my, my loyalty. or what, like, like Jesus is the only one who doesn't fail. Every human being is stained and sinful. My goodness, we need a Savior. Praise God for Jesus. And, and so when leaders fail, it just underscores the gospel to me. The gospel is good. Our human leaders are not. Mm-hmm. And they fail. And they <laughs> fail. So how can we help the uh, church leaders present future? How can we help them out in this area of not failing? That is a huge question. And and as we were kind of spitballing uh, before this podcast, we were, it it just occurred to me that like, wow, we, I think we have a lot to discuss here. This was kind of like a thrown in question, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but I think there's a lot to unpack here. So uh, I'll start it off with this. One of the first things that I think you got to be careful in your selection of leaders. A lot of times we go for charisma. Uh, it's sometimes literally good looks, uh, let alone speaking ability and witty and all this stuff. And we go for that, and we don't do what the scriptures tell us to do. You look at First Timothy chapter three. You look at Titus chapter one. It goes after character and depth and integrity. And so, uh, yes, good leaders that we choose for good reasons can fail down the road. No doubt about it. But I think the rate of failure sometimes is because that's betraying that we chose on the wrong qualifications to begin with. Yeah, it's funny. I, even as you say that, I think about, you know, we're in 2 Corinthians as a church and went through 1 Corinthians not long ago. Like part of the thing Paul's opponents were throwing at him was he didn't have the outward gifting. He didn't look like that great mm-hmm. leader, but he was faithful. He had great character. He loved Jesus. He was humble. And like, yeah, he didn't maybe have all the showy gifts, but man, that paid well, off. Yeah. I've heard some people say, the Apostle Paul could not be a mega church pastor in America today. Yeah. Could not. He, he is disqualified. Yeah. Now, he's actually qualified biblically, but disqualified because he's just not showing off. Yeah. And then, you know, Driscoll, uh, while he had his several problems, one of the things I, I, I think he has said is he's acknowledged that he made it too big too soon, and he didn't have the maturity to undergird that. Uh, and, and yeah, so that that's... That's the first thing I think we, we've yeah. got to do to uh, help leaders not fail is choose the right people to be leaders. Yeah. Well, the Old Testament says we tend to look on the outside, right? Yep. God yep. looks to the heart. So. Yep. Yeah. And that was on the selection of David. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yep. Interesting. But any case, uh, so the second thing I throw out there is pray. Uh, this one I think is most obvious to people. Well, we got to pray for our leaders, and that's true. Uh, and there are some good resources out there on how to pray for your pastor well, I got one. We'll link in the show notes. Sweet, thanks, brother. Uh, but but I will put a request with this, uh, and uh, this is where my heart really gets involved in this. I, I want to beg our congregation desperately to pray for me, specifically, and then our our pastoral and elder leaders in general. Um, 
as I've surveyed the landscape, it's not encouraging. It seems like churches, uh, if the church is successful, the pastor eventually usually is not. And uh, I'll be very frank with you guys, it desperately scares me. Um, and, and so I, I, I just I want to finish well, uh, and so I, I would beg people to pray for us. Hmm. I agree. And I think the, the third one that comes to mind is just having, having that ch- healthy church culture. I mean, and, and some of that is to that what you just said, like a church that's praying for their pastors, praying for their leaders, mm-hmm. but then, you know, a healthy church uh, is led by a health, uh, a healthy church is led by a healthy pastor, but vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we need a culture. And I, th- you know, I know we're not perfect at redemption, but I think we we strive to do it well where we are, the pastors and leaders are are not on a pedestal. We're nothing we're not out of reach. Like we're in the trenches with the congregation. We're messy. We're broken. And if we are struggling, we need a safe place. We need a safe church to be honest with ourselves and with other people. Yeah. I feel like the church culture sets the tone of how the problem is going to be responded to. Like, so if I start to get in a bad place, I need to go get help. And there's a, there's a phase where I can go get help and we, we avert a major problem. But if we have a church culture where I, as a lead pastor, am on this pedestal and I'm expected to be perfect, I can't admit I need help. And so the greater church culture that we have here, that our church is a hospital, not a country club, we expect messy, we do, redemption does messy, and all the congregation goes, yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, then once we have that church culture, then we're not so surprised when our one of our pastors is hurting somewhat. That fits within that. And I think at one point I counted like two thirds of our church staff uh, is seeking counseling, is going to counseling, it, and that fits our greater culture and that protects us. So that having a church culture that does messy, it's not just for the congregation; it's for the leaders. It gives freedom to see because listen, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And when you're starting to get into a bad spot, there's there's a point where you can seek help and things go in the right direction. A lot of times people put it off past that, and then it's really hard to fix it. Uh, and if, if you have a church that lets pastors be messy, man, then you, mm. you can do the ounce of prevention. Yeah. You like that? Yep. All right. Another thing that came to mind for us was uh, given pastors and, and other leaders sabbaticals, days off, fair, fair pay, like a lot of churches, um, they, they expect their pastors to, to work for beans, which means there's a lot of... Now, we're not looking for independent wealthy. The health and wealth, we don't do that here at Redemption Chapel. But we want to pay our staff fairly so that they're not under in undue financial stress. A lot of pastors, man, they don't make enough. They don't get days off. They don't get sabbaticals. And now they're tired. They're stressed out. They're anxious. They're worried. They're depressed. They've got all these issues in part because the church doesn't take care of them. So I just want like people to start to catch, it's more than, well, just pray for us. No, yeah. you got to take care of your pastors, and a lot of churches don't. Yeah, yeah, and a, and a pastor, church leader, whoever in that situation, if they're tired, burnout, stress, worried, whatever, all that stuff you mentioned, I mean, that is a prime candidate for oh, someone man. to have a moral failure. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, you're asking the enemy to pick that person off and because they're so vulnerable. And so that is, yeah, the biggest way to prevent it is, man, just help your pastor and leader be healthy. Yeah. Pay them and give them some yeah, time yeah. off. Yeah. Let them catch your breath. Yeah. Uh, then I, I'd also say, like, 
in, encourage them to have connections and accountability and counseling. And so if your pastor wants counseling, uh, you don't broadcast it, but you do pay for it. So the church pays for it. So we're actually actively encouraging the, the pastor to get that kind of, of care. Uh, and so for me, I, I have two accountability partners. Uh, I have been to counseling last spring. I did a round of it. Uh, I'm thinking about heading back to, to uh, check in. And, and so I, uh, I do have a best friend in my life. A lot of pastors don't, uh, specifically lead pastors, sometimes they don't have friends. Um, so to have that helps towards health. Mm. But I'll give a caveat with this one. Because sometimes what happens, I'll have people come up to me, and they've kind of self-appointed uh, to be my counselor. Uh, hey, I'm new here. Uh, I just want you to know I really understand the pastoral world and the stress on you, uh, and I want to be that person in your life that is here for you to advise you and is a safe place to go to. To which my response is, uh, I'm sorry, what's your name? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know you. I don't trust you. I don't like, so I, I would strongly advise, don't, don't appoint yourself to be that person for your pastor. Now, if the pastor comes to you and says, hey, you're a safe place. Will you be a safe place for me? And initiates with you, absolutely. But I don't think it's up to you to appoint. Like, let the elders take care of it. Let lay leadership, let fellow pastors, but don't, don't weasel your way in there. Have you ever experienced that, brother? Yeah, pr- I mean, probably not as on the level you do as the lead pastor, but yeah, there's there's definitely times. And it's hard, I mean, because, you know, you mentioned friends. Like, one of the things that I know with this I've wrestled with is uh, the weird thing about being in church leadership is everyone thinks they're your friend, but I'm like, I'm only friends with like five of you guys. <laughs> like, honestly, like, and that doesn't mean I don't like you. It's just I can't maintain that many connections in a healthy way. And so even mm-hmm. in my own life, I've recently, like, I've kind of wrote down like, who's my five friends that I'm going to actually invest in and really pour, you know, connect with because I can't be everyone's friend. And okay. So here's so. a side question. Those five people, do you hug them? <laughs> uh, maybe like two of them. All right. Cool. Maybe eventually all five, but there's, you know, Cause I don't there's know different levels within the five. Austin has hugging issues. I don't, right? I only hug my wife. That'll that's be a, that's that'll the only be a, person I care to hug. That'll be a great indicator of how close you get to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think I need to hug you more. Oh, no. No, you shouldn't. (laughs) I I guess I didn't make the two. (laughs) But one thing I will say to, so we can stop talking about hugging me, is like, I think one of the ways to protect your pastor and leader in this way of connection accountability is to have that locally. I mean, I think all of us, we've Mm -hmm. talked about this. So many of these guys that have fallen and made, made huge mistakes, if you look at their church setup, they didn't actually have like local elders, authority, like, they had board, a board of directors of other big names across From the country. State. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, that's so easy to get off track because you actually don't have anyone rubbing shoulders day-to-day in your life. And so I think there's you know value how we do it. There's there's elders. They're part of our church. They're, they see what's going on. They're our accountability, our guardrails. Uh, and to have friends, like you said, in the trenches with us, um, that's, a, that's so much better than this weird board of directors thing that some people are doing. 100%. Because if, if I do a Zoom call with a board of director guy that's two states away and I do that once a quarter, man, I can fake it for that 45 oh, minutes yeah. easy, you know. But for me, I, I we have a local board of elders that are members of our church, lay leaders in our church. Uh, so they not only see me at our monthly elders meeting, but 
they see me doing church, you know, and I'm accountable to them. And then I also have two accountability partners. One is a pastor at a church in the area, and I meet him once a month. That'll be tomorrow night. Uh, and then another, uh, the other guy is a member of our congregation. Uh, he's one of my best friends. He's occasionally an elder. He's off the board right now. Uh, but it, he and I meet once a month as well. And so there, there, there's a guy that sees right into my life, uh, whether I'm meeting with him at the time or not. Mm. You know, and so having that local is yeah. huge. I agree, brother. Well, I uh, in that I gave kind of a caveat of you know don't don't presume that you're going to be that person for your pastor. And another one I kick in there as far as how do we keep leaders healthy? Like, be careful of the expectations you put on leaders. Like, obviously they need to do their job, but sometimes we layer on a lot of extra expectations. So, uh, for example, we have people that'll come here and hey, I'm new to the church. Uh, we'd like to take you and your wife out to dinner and get to know you. And I, I'm, I try to be gentle and kind, but I just realized I can't do that 1500 times. And, and then even to loop my wife into that. And that's why we have community groups and all that stuff. Like I, I just can't be that person in everyone's life. But, but sometimes people expect, Hey, since I'm coming to church here, that makes you my pastor. That means we will be getting uh lunch dinner together semi-regularly. And I, I just don't, had the man, but those expectations. Another one is uh, books to read. So, you got a stack of those too. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and and it, yeah. it comes from a good place, right? Exactly. Like so, uh, we've got people reading good books, excited about them, moved by them, and they want their pa- hey. Have you read this? Pa- I hear I've got a copy for you. You read this. Then I've got this stack of books that other people want me to read, and I've just determined long ago I don't read from that pile. Uh, I go to Jesus at the beginning of the year. What do you want me to read this year? What do I want to read? And I read from that pile. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, one of the things you just have to do is take the expectation you're going to put on your pastor and multiply it by the number of your congregation. In our case, that's 1,500. So I don't have time to read 1,500 books a year. That's just, that doesn't work. So if, if you go, oh, 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 I'm not the only one. Everybody's asking the pastor to do this. That doesn't work. Yeah. Then you back off that. Yeah. And I, I love reading. <laughs> yes, so there's times I'm like, yes, that's cool. But then I realize I have another giant stack to get through and I can't get through your stack. So I get that. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> but I think another, another one that's good too on this list of how you can help is, is, by, is by stepping up and serving in your church. Yes. I mean, gosh, you think... How many times as pastors and leaders we, you know, we're we're pushing people to volunteer, we're pushing people to help because it takes an army of volunteers to run a ministry in a church, and and many times people are are not, they're consumers, they're just kind of sitting back and you know saying how can you feed me, how can you help me, and if you want to like burn your pastor out and get them to the point where they are vulnerable, just don't do anything because then they're going to shoulder more stress and probably have to do a ton more. So some of it's helping is just being the body of Christ and stepping up and and serving so that the church is operating with a bunch of volunteers and priesthood of believers type stuff, not just expecting the one leader to to shoulder it all because that's that's tough. Absolutely, because you've got that's where you have pastors who are running around like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to do everything, fill all the gaps because the congregation isn't doing what they should be doing, and then it's the stress of having people not step up and. Man, that is, that's a load to carry. Yeah. 
And then I, I, you know, one other that at least came to mind for me is to uh, show honor, respect, and gratitude toward your pastors. And the gratitude we we get fairly regularly, and uh, people think that, yeah, thank you, pastor, that's really helpful. I love that sermon, whatever. But don't skip the honor and respect. And particularly when there's questions about why do we do this or whatever, like go in with the assumption that my pastor's not an idiot and actually knows what he's doing. There's a reason we pay him for this. Uh, And so go in with a question of, hey, I wouldn't have done it that way. What do I have to learn? That just shows honor and respect. Uh, As well, it gets a better hearing, and your pastor in the midst of it might go, oh, shoot, we kind of biffed that, didn't we? But showing honor and respect is just so critical. And uh, if you give criticism, do with humility, man, Hebrews 13 talks about uh, that if you don't uh, submit to your leaders, that it actually is of no advantage to you, uh, that you're actually hurting yourself. Because when you leave your leaders in a very hurting position, they're the ones, you're biting the hand that feeds you. They're the ones feeding you, and you're weakening your leaders over time, and that is of no advantage to you. That's Hebrews 13, 17. Yeah. Yeah, I think about it like just if you wanna if you wanna put wind in the sails of your pastor, church leader, whatever, like that honor, respect, gratitude goes a long way. Like probably more than 100%. a person realizes. Like, yeah, we're humans and we we struggle and to hear the people we lead show us that honor and appreciation. It puts wind, I mean, it keeps me in it. I'm mm-hmm. a words guy. Words of affirmation okay. are huge to me. And uh, ministry is a grind. It's tiring. I am. I live my life fairly tired after three decades of ministry. But when I hear the gratitude and, and I sense the respect and honor, it uh, it means the world to me. Yeah. Well, so Gary, you know, you you asked a big question there, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of things we threw on the table. One of the things I want to say to kind of underscore all that, I think there's this tendency in a congregation to think that their only responsibility is to pray for their pastor. And that's it. So when I said pray in that list, or maybe you said, I don't know, but when we said pray, like, yep, their radar perked up, that's what we do, and they check the box and it's done. And there's the thought that it's really the pastor's responsibility to stay healthy. And there's a degree to which that's true. Like, I, I can't, if somebody's being disrespectful to me, that doesn't give me license to be a jerk. I still have to walk with Jesus, respond to the Holy Spirit. I have to be healthy and stay healthy my, myself. Look to God. Uh, and sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes I do that better than others. Sometimes I biff that, and I have to own it. But when a leader fails, that's on the leader. There's no blame shifting. There's no excusing it. I'm not in any way trying to suggest that when a leader fails, it's the congregation's fault. Nope, it's on the leader, period. But it rarely happens in a vacuum. And so the congregation have to, has to examine, hey, how are we helping? Are we serving? Are we honoring? Are we respecting? Are we paying him enough? Are we giving him days off? Are we giving him sabbaticals? Will we pay for his counseling? Have we set a culture where it's safe for him to be messy? Like there's all this stuff that sometimes I think a congregation says, pass, 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 but we'll pray for you. And then all of a sudden the pastor is unhealthy and everybody's like, oh, How'd that happen? And I think it's congregational gaslighting. Like, we, we actually put him in a spot where he should be unhealthy. And then he got unhealthy, and then we're like, how'd you get unhealthy, man? 
Uh, and, and sometimes we as a congregation have to go, man, we got to do better so that our pastors can do better. Yeah, that's right on. I appreciate those thoughts and even the idea of showing our leaders honor, respect, and gratitude. I noticed you didn't say the word worship. You didn't <laughs> say worship our church leaders oh, or pastors don't. because they're great guys, but they're not worthy of our worship as we, as we know. Not even close. And uh, I think that's, we talk about church leaders failing, but I think that's where we as the church fail sometimes, where we tend to prop up too much leaders, pastors, make them celebrities in our own hearts, and therefore we tend to worship them. And as, as you were talking about the prevention idea, one thing that hit me was in response to that, I think when we're unbalanced in that, we tend to prosecute these people more than we do prevent their failure. You know, it's like we, if we had more zeal for prevention, I think that could truly, truly help. And we can play a great part in that. As That's disciples. a great word, man. Yeah. Cause we, man, we love, we love the drama. We love the gossip of it. Mm-hmm. And so when we hear of a failed leader, man, we get into action. Yeah. What if we had half that much emotional energy going into preventing yeah. Right. Yeah, I think it was into that. I mean, I'll I'll throw out a term that's a little bit shocking, but it's good. Like I've heard people use the word failure porn mm-hmm. to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, just when a when a dude screws up, it's like the podcast, the articles, the books that come out about his failure. It's like mm-hmm. people are addicted to that, like pornography. Like they just can't get enough of this idea of like, let's hear the juicy details. And it's like, man, if we had that energy, as your point, <laughs> on the front end before he fell, like, well, that might might be really helpful. So. Well, and I mentioned in this podcast, like I think the rise and fall of Mars Hill was too long. I think it was failure porn. I think there was a, about one to two hours of very good, very needed, very helpful material. We had to do an autopsy to learn from that. So I, I think there was good material. But how, how many hours was that in total? I don't know. It was 20 to 30, hours. something like that. So I think you had two hours of good material and about 18 hours of failure porn. Well, this has been really good today. Um, Before we close it out, do you guys have any closing thoughts for us? Well, one one thing I think is very important for me to say, having given a whole list of what I think a congregation can do to help their pastors, is to say a big thank you. Uh, Redemption Chapel is a fantastic church to pastor. I feel incredibly blessed. Uh, We have a congregation that I think, by and large, I mean, it's as our leaders are not perfect. So our congregation is not perfect, and some of these things do go awry at times. But by and large, we're paid well, we get vacation days, uh, our pastors get sabbaticals, uh, we are shown gratitude, uh, we, we get respect and honor, not 100%, nope, but uh, I mean, a lot of these things that I listed off, I think our congregation does really, really well. Uh, and so this does not come from a place of complaint, uh, but of answering the question that you asked. And I would say that, it, like, I mostly think of these podcasts going out to our people, but man, this is one I hope gets shared broadly, uh, because I, I want all congregations to take care of their pastors the way our church does. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I would 100% agree. I mean, as, as one of the pastors, too, I, I definitely feel loved, appreciated, cared for. Um, so thank you, church, if you're listening. And and I would say one thing, too, just to, to anyone listening, just don't go to the extremes. Like everyone listening, you've probably read a book, heard a sermon from some church leader that's blown up. I get it. But don't go to the extreme. Like you mentioned book burnings. Like you don't have to burn their material, but you also don't have to blindly accept it. Like as mature followers of Christ, use discernment. 
you know, use wise counsel. And then at the end of the day, hope in Jesus and not a, a man or a piece of work, but just don't go to the extremes. Be balanced. Nice. Good word. Good word. So don't prosecute. Don't worship. <laughs> Let's do our part to help in this topic. I think we can do it. So thank you both for uh, a great topic today. And thank you all for listening. I hope it's been a blessing to you. And like like, uh, Rick said, I hope you share it and bless others. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. To catch the latest episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us. For more resources like this, visit our website at www.redemptionchapel.com slash grow. We hope you join us next time on Redemption Unscripted.